Man is one of your creatures, Lord, wrote St. Augustine of Hippo at the beginning of his confessions, and his instinct is to praise you. He bears about him the mark of death, the sign of his own sin, to remind him that you thwart the proud. But still, since he is a part of your creation, he wishes to praise you. The thought of you stirs him so deeply that he cannot be content unless he praises you, because you made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. This is the After Dinner Scholar from Wyoming Catholic College, and I'm your host, Dr. Jim Tonkowicz. St. Augustine was a prominent teacher of rhetoric in Roman North Africa and in Italy. Despite his success, he was restless and constantly casting about for what was true until he found his rest through faith in Christ. A great sinner, we learn in his confessions, who became a great saint. Dr. Daniel Shields, a theologian, is attending sophomore humanities this semester and has been reading through the confessions with Dr. Glenn Arbery and our students. I asked him what he personally finds compelling about the book. I think firstly is that Augustine is so passionate. It's clear that he is profoundly in love with God and he kind of catches you up into that love as you read the book. I think secondly, after his passion, it's that so many things are woven together, right? Philosophy, theology, scripture, but also poetry, literature, right? um, eloquence. It's a biography. Psychology, spirituality. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's all woven together, right? This program is all about integration, and this book is integrated. Uh, it makes things like philosophy and theology a lot more compelling to um, our students, I would think. Uh, some of them, like most people, can have a difficult time with systematic theology. Right? Sometimes it can seem really dry. Right? But when you read Augustine's Confessions, one sees how important in his own personal life and journey towards God, these ideas that one learns in uh, systematic theology and that one learns in philosophy. And you could also see the service that things like literature can be put to for God. Years ago, I spoke about the Trinity. When I got to the end of it, I said to people, isn't theology wonderful? I mean, this is not just up in the air stuff. This is, this is heart stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's great. Well, as soon as he gets started, uh, Augustine, in three short, very dense paragraphs, asks and, and asks and answers some of the deepest questions about God. How shall I call upon God for aid? What place is there to me to which my God can in me to which my God can come? How can I contain you? How can anything contain you? And on and on. What are we to make of these? first this blast of questions yeah the, these the opening chapters of the confessions are really uh give you a kind of a preview of what's in the book as a whole right um the sorts of things that augustine is wrestling with throughout his life and a preview of the answers that he comes to right but these uh, questions are the questions that everyone has right and he says um, right, for thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they rest in thee. 
right? Probably the most famous line in the Confessions, right there in the first chapter, right? So he's expressing this desire for God and for union with God. And everyone has this desire, whether they realize it or not. And many people who do realize it then have the question, well, how can I get God, right? How can this desire be satisfied? And it's, it's a difficult question that everyone has to wrestle with. If someone longs for his friend who he, whom he hasn't seen in many years, he knows how to satisfy that desire. Uh, he might call him up on the phone and have a conversation with him or uh, as that doesn't fully satisfy, right, he might go to the great lengths of, of you know, getting on an airplane and traveling across the country to, to see his friend, like makes you know, space in his, his, his you know, calendar for that and, and journey to him and then be in his presence and, and speak face to face with this person. Right? But you can't just, you can't exactly do that with God. Right? There's this longing to be with him and to, to be united to him on this personal level, but you can't just get on an airplane and go there. Right? Because he's not bodily, right? And so Augustine wrestles with this in the beginning, right? Isn't God everywhere? Don't we believe that he's everywhere? So if he's everywhere, shouldn't he already be here where I am? And if I'm already where he is and he's where I am, why don't I already have him so that this desire is fulfilled, right? So it's, it's a puzzle, right? And this is something that Augustine wrestles with throughout his life, right? As a Manichaean and even after his period as a Manichaean, he thinks of God in, in physical terms. He, like everyone, struggles to think of God in, in a way other than imaginatively. And whenever one thinks of God imaginatively, he's going to have to be somewhere in space and spread out in space. And either he's going to have a finite size or an infinite size. But either way, he's going to be spread out in spaces, right? And so right there in those first chapters, Augustine questions that. and said, well, would that mean that, you, that there's more God in a, more, more pieces of God in a bigger thing than in a smaller thing? Is there more God in an elephant than in a mouse? Um, you know, is there more God in a large basketball player guy than in, than in a, a small person like me, <laughs> right? Um, obviously not, right? So he says at the end of chapter three, you fill all things, but with your whole being. It is true that all things cannot wholly contain you, but this does not mean that they contain, but does this mean that they contain part of you? And do they all contain the same part at the same time? Or do different parts of creation contain different parts of you? Greater parts or smaller according to their own magnitude. But are there in you parts greater and smaller? Or are you not in every place at once in the totality of your being? Well, yet nothing contains you wholly. Okay? So he's thinking about God's relationship to, to space and realizing that God is not a spatial being. And that that's a first step in trying to figure out how we get to God. That we don't get to him spatially by 
journeying somewhere in space. Yeah, one of the big problems in modern theology was the turn that said that God has being like we have being. Mm -hmm. And uh, God doesn't have being like we have being, uh, as, which is what Augustine is wrestling with. His mm -hmm. being is beyond our being. Yeah. Yeah, and, he's, and that especially comes out in book seven when he his intellectual conversion or kind of pre-conversion takes place. He's not quite yet ready to become baptized because of his moral problems. But in book seven, he reads um, what he calls the, some books of the Platonists. And uh, it's that moment at which he finally realizes that God is an immaterial reality. He's not spatial and he's not temporal and that he, he can't be imagined, but that he is being itself, right? All of the things that we can imagine and all, all the things that we can experience and all of God's creatures are not being, they have being, right? They participate in pure being, right? But God just is he who is, right? The, I am who am. Mm -hmm, yeah, from Exodus, and the Moses before the burning bush, right? And then he realizes that that means that all things that, uh, since to be at all, they have to participate in, in, in the pure being who is God, that they are all good, right? Um, the Manichaeans had thought of, of fleshy things as bad and um, Augustine had thought that many parts of creation were, were evil, right? But when he realizes that for anything to be is to participate in God, that all is good and the body is good, but that they're all partial, limited goods, and they're all meant to lead us towards goodness itself, God. And that the problem is that we often get stuck in these limited partial goods in space and time. Well, Augustine begins, uh, after he talks about God, he begins with an account of his early life and his dissipation, adding about Christ. He says, quote, deep inside my heart, his name remained, and nothing could entirely captivate me, however learned, however neatly expressed, however true it might be, unless his name were in it, close quote. What's the, what was the source of his restlessness? Did his friends share it? I mean, it seems like they didn't for the most part, uh, which is to say, were his questions and longings purely personal due to his mother Monica's prayers or other causes, or is he expressing a universal experience? I think it's got to be a little bit of both, right? Um, because, right, there's a, there's a natural goodness and an, uh, an, a natural virtue that some you know, pagans had before Christ, right? And, but there's a supernatural calling. And it seems that, that Augustine, well, he didn't even have natural virtue, right? He, he lived a life of dissipation um, early on, right? But he, when he reads um, a book by Cicero, I think it's a lost work, um, Hortensius, he, he says he's, he's kind of, um, mentally converted towards the search for wisdom and that wisdom is more important than all of these um, worldly pleasures or, or worldly success. But even though Cicero kind of makes such a huge impact on him, right? He says, I can't, I couldn't just 
dedicate my life to philosophy because the name of Christ wasn't in it, right? And, and he explains that Monica had, um, although not baptized him, interestingly enough, and there's a story there, right? But Monica had um, introduced him to the Christian faith, right? And he had you know, been brought to church and he says, you know, he was signed and, uh, you know, uh, with, uh, you know, the sign of the cross, right? And that he had already, so to speak, been claimed for Christ. And the call of God is irrevocable, right? He, he had already been called to supernatural um, good, to, to a supernatural life, to a supernatural relationship with God. And so he was just utterly unable to be satisfied with a natural path to God, um, the path of philosophy and, and virtue. He doesn't say those things are, are bad unless they lead to pride, which is the danger there, right? But for him personally, it, it, ha- it had to be about Christ. Now, however, with all the intellectual questions and uh, philosophical and theological ruminations of the book, what was the real roadblock to his coming to Christ? Um, well, the biggest roadblock certainly was his sexual addiction. Right? And he really speaks of it in those terms as if he w- it was had become uncontrollable. But certainly he was also um, blocked by uh, worldly ambition, the desire to be successful and well-respected by his contemporaries. But also he had intellectual roadblocks, right? After coming to desire wisdom, he turns to the scriptures and he said, well, this stuff is, is just so lowly and um, it's not sophisticated like Cicero is. So he put the scriptures aside, right? So there his pride is getting in the way and he falls in with the Manichaeans, right? And the Manichaeans have the name of Christ. They speak that name, right? But they're not at all a, a Christian religion. It's a bizarre combination of uh, Eastern and and Western ideas. The main thing they seem to have going for them, and kind of the biggest intellectual problem they caused for Augustine, was that they said the Christian or Catholic faith doesn't make any sense because unlike some of the ancient pagans or or even ancient philosophers like, like Plato himself, they, the Catholics say that there's one God who creates everything out of nothing, right? And then that leaves you with the question, well, where does evil come from? Wouldn't God have to make it if, he, if everything is made by God? But he's supposed to be all good, right? So the Manichaeans solve this by having two gods, a good God and an evil God, and they're at war with each other, right? And then it makes sense where evil comes from because it comes from the evil God, right? The good God didn't make it, right? And the Manichaeans thought of both of these, the good God and the evil God, in, in physical, corporeal terms, as, as spread out in, in space um, and in time. And those things really caused a lot of mental difficulties for Augustine. But in the end, when he does overcome those mental difficulties, he still has a sexual addiction that, that keeps him from converting for a while until he humbly acknowledges that he can't overcome that addiction himself and that he needs God to carry him. 
and then he's finally able to to convert and, and be baptized. How do our students respond to the book? You know, it's so full of Christ, right? And it's so compelling, right? That these are um, the search for God and the, the desire to be united to God is something that already motivates uh, most of them. It's just compelling in that way. I think it would also be helpful for them uh, in seeing the value of their theological studies. It can sometimes be difficult to see, like, you know, why are we going through all of these intellectual exercises, right? But St. Augustine unites all of that with prayer and a personal journey. And, and you can also see how these, this intellectual process of thinking through who God is and how he relates to space and time, his omnipotence and, and his providence, all of the, thinking about all of these things was part of his, his conversion, but only part, right? The, the theological and philosophical studies are so important, but they're not everything, right? In the end, we're saved by our personal relationship with Christ, right? That, that moral conversion has to follow the intellectual conversion, even though that the intellectual studies pl- uh, played a significant role in that conversion. Pope Benedict XVI said in a 2008 audience, quote, Augustine converted to Christ, who is truth and love, followed him through his life and became a model for every human being, for all of us to, in search of God, close quote. That is, to say the least, good encouragement to read Augustine's Confessions. Now, I, for one, struggled reading the whole book in one gulp as an undergraduate and then again as a graduate student. So if you tried it and found it difficult, you're not alone. Then I read it a few sections a day as part of my devotional life. I fell in love with Augustine, with his book, with his story, and I believe I fell more deeply in love with his God. Lent is coming, which might be an ideal time for some solid spiritual reading. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.